I invite you to consider with me this Lord's Day the idea of an inviting God. For the last several Lord's Days, we've considered His attributes. We've considered uh, things about His nature and His character. And it is the pursuit of every believer for the entire duration of their believing experience in this life. It is the pursuit to know God. It was A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Therefore, it is imperative that all of God's people would fill their mind with the attributes and the character and the nature of God. By the way, many of those attributes we are called to imitate. We are called to love as He loves, and we are called to forgive as He forgives. We are also called to invite as He invites. So, an inviting God. Our scripture reading was from Revelation chapter number 22, and we will consider verses 12 and following, but our main text verse uh, for this morning is verse number 17, where the Bible says, the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Three times in that one verse, we find the word come. It is an invitation. I wonder if you will, for the next few moments, consider the day that you responded to the invitation of the Father. Now, the fact is that even in a crowd this size, there are people that have never actually responded to the invitation of the Father. Uh, I have met many people that have attended many churches and, and some of these churches for not just years but for decades. And when you ask them questions concerning the day they responded to the invitation of God, in spite of the fact that they've been in church, in spite of the fact that they own a Bible, in spite of the fact that maybe they have family members who are in ministry, they have no real specific details concerning the day they responded to an inviting God. It's a... It's a dangerous thing, and it's not just a dangerous thing in the sense that, you know, temporally. I mean, it's a dangerous thing eternally. So I'm asking you to meditate on your, your conversion experience. You know, the, the day you responded to an inviting God, the day that you had your road to Damascus experience, if you will. The day you had your thief on the cross experience where you recognized that you were a sinner. He was a malefactor. Uh, the day you said to him, Lord, and he said to the thief on the cross, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I'm, I'm saying just because you've been in church or, or just because you uh, know some religious things or just because you have a Bible does not mean you've ever been converted. Churches, even Baptist churches, have people that frequent them that, that just think they've always been a Christian. Just vague and ambiguous concerning a conversion. No real time or, or instance and no real recollection of what it means to truly be saved. No real concept of, I was a sinner and I needed a Savior and I called upon Jesus to save me. I was the object of His wrath as a sinner. But the love of God invited me. The Holy Spirit of God convicted me. And it was for me in 1988. For you, maybe it was in 
sometime in the 2000s or maybe in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s, I don't know how far back to go, uh, the 10s, I don't know. Uh, but do you have that moment in your life? Because literally, eternity hangs in the balance. It's not just, well, I was baptized. Well, I've had the Lord's Supper. Well, I uh, have done religious things. Well, I know religious people. Well, I've just always been in church. No, when was it when you responded to an inviting God? That question might be the most important question that you'll ever be asked in your entire life. Do you have a Bible reason why if you die today, you have a home in heaven? I want you to consider this inviting God. And three times in verse number 17, we find an invitation. And specifically in verse 17, this is a twofold invitation. An invitation to Christ to come and an invitation for sinners to come to Christ before he returns. We as believers, those of us that have had a conversion experience where we have put our faith and trust in Jesus to save us from eternal damnation, we say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But here we are in the 1,189th chapter in the Word of God, the, the last chapter, Revelation chapter 22. And it concludes with an invitation. The overall context of the book of Revelation is an interesting one, no doubt. John, the revelator here, the, the same author of 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, the same author of the Gospel of John, which, by the way, I say to you, the Gospel of John is both evangelistic and an apologetic. It is a book that enables us to defend our faith, that Jesus is deity, that he is the Christ, and John sets out to do that. And here in John's writings in the book of Revelation, he has already, previous to chapter 22, he's already prophesied concerning end-time events, concerning the rapture, concerning the tribulation, concerning the millennial reign, concerning the great white throne judgment. He's already prophesied concerning the new Jerusalem. And here he concludes his letter with one last invitation. As we consider our God this morning and we consider the fact that he is an inviting God, I want us to consider, first of all, his personality. Secondly, we'll consider his power. And thirdly, we'll consider our participation. His personality, his power, and our participation. Consider his personality. Again, three times in verse 17, you find an invitation. And this is not unique to Scripture. One theologian said after, after his study that there are some 55 invitations in Scripture where God invites man to himself. So it's not unique in verse number 17. More than 55 times this speaks to the personality of our God, his nature, his character. He is not looking to reject. He is looking to invite. Come, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Come. Come and, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. It is an invitation. And some of the, of the 55 invitations in Scripture, some of the more familiar ones I'll, I'll give to you, just so that we can understand that this is his personality. Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 18. Isaiah 1, 18, the prophet of God there says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Listen to this. Though your sins be as scarlet, 
They shall be as white as snow. This is an invitation to forgiveness for sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He says, come now and let us reason together. God invites, listen, the sinner to be forgiven. An invitation to be pardoned. You read in Isaiah chapter 55, and remember Isaiah 55, obviously on the heels of Isaiah 53. 53 is the uh, most famous probably of all of Isaiah's prophecies concerning the Messiah that would come, who would be wounded and, and bruised. You know, he would, uh, the chastisement of our peace is, is, is put upon him and, and our iniquity and our transgression. Uh, so understand Isaiah 55, on the heels of Isaiah 53, the prophecy concerning the Messiah. Isaiah 55, 1, the Bible says, Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Not only Isaiah 1.18 is an invitation to forgiveness, but Isaiah 55.1 is an invitation to be satisfied. Satisfied. Come ye to the waters. It speaks of satisfaction in the Messiah, the anointed one. For the Christian, listen now, temporal frustrations come and they go, but they do not dictate our level of satisfaction. For we have, as the redeemed, a single-minded focus on our Lord, and He is the one that satisfies. The invitation is given in Isaiah to receive forgiveness, but not only that, for satisfaction, forgiveness and satisfaction. And let me say, the lost and dying and hurting world around us, it is full of people that need these invitations. They need to know of an inviting God who offers forgiveness of sin and offers fulfillment in life in spite of uncomfortable temporal circumstances. Any of you subscribe to the Pensacola News Journal? Anybody? Anybody? They got to be making money somewhere. Okay. Oh, some of you. So maybe you read on July 29th uh, in the Pensacola News Journal the headline Marijuana Dispensary Planned for Pensacola. talking about being satisfied. You know, hedonism is a growing concept in our culture. Escapism, hedonism, hedonism specifically uh, is the idea that we can live a life of pleasure and therefore avoid pain. And so people go to, to drugs, and many people are very excited about marijuana coming to Pensacola. And, and people go to alcohol, and they go to anything that will alleviate their pain, and they think will provide for them some level of pleasure. Uh, they go to uh, drugs, and they go to alcohol, and they go to promiscuity of various types, including pornography, or uh, adulterating on their wife, or fornicating before they're married. And, and the whole idea is really boiled down to, to hedonism, and people like Charles Darwin and Sigmund Freud, they have argued in their writings for hedonism. They believe and they have taught. And by the way, these are people that are influencing the curriculum in our public schools across our nation. They, they have the idea that if you live a life of pleasure, then you can avoid pain. You find satisfaction in pleasure. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 4, that in the last days men shall be lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. They're looking for satisfaction in the pleasures of this life. Instead of loving God, the one who says, come to me if you thirst for satisfaction. For there is satisfaction in an inviting God. 
in spite of all the headlines and Hollywood productions and all the allurements of the world, there is a God who is inviting and He is saying, I have forgiveness for your sin and I have satisfaction for your soul. And when you read the New Testament and you read the life of Christ, over and over and over again, you see the God-man inviting people to Himself. In Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28, He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So are you, are you full of anxiety? Are you full of care? Are you full of frustration? Are you uh, disturbed by life circumstances? Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you overwhelmed with the fact that, that when I talk about conversion, a time and a place in your life, you might not remember the day, the exact day. You might not remember the, even the year. But you remember the circumstances. You remember your heart convicted about sin. I mean, maybe, though, you're sitting here and you say, I don't remember any of that. Jesus says, our inviting God says, come unto him, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest for your sin. He will give you satisfaction for your soul. You read in John chapter 6, verse number 37 of this inviting God. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He loves you. Again, his MO, if you will, is not that of a rejecting God, but an inviting God. He invites the world to be pardoned and to be satisfied at his banquet table. This is his personality. This is who he is. This is what we should know about God. It's what should come into our mind when we think of him. For it is part of his nature, his character. It is an attribute of God. It's his personality. Not only that, but would you consider with me his power? And the passage here preceding verse number 17 gives us instruction concerning this one who is inviting. If, you know, people invite you to do things and they don't, they don't actually have the power to facilitate the things they're inviting you to do, it's, it's an absolute waste. And this invitation is from a very powerful God. Uh, the power of the one doing the inviting is worthy of our consideration. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 12. You find here the words of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, and behold, I come quickly. This powerful one who is inviting people to come to himself, he is the coming one. He says, I come quickly. Not only that, as the verse continues to unfold, notice the words, my reward is with me. He is the coming one and he is the rewarding one. Verse number 13, the Bible says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. All of this speaks to his power. Uh, Alpha and Omega are uh, the first and the last of the Greek alphabet. And you consider any alphabet, really, the, the, the English alphabet, the, the first and the last letter, A and Z, the alphabet, one theologian said it this way, he said an alphabet is an ingenious way to store and communicate knowledge. The way you speak, the, the language that, that you communicate with, the, the way that you write, the whole point of, of any language's alphabet is to communicate knowledge. And when you think of the English alphabet, the 26 letters in the English alphabet can hold and convey all knowledge, the commentator said. He said Christ is the supreme sovereign alphabet. 
There is nothing outside of his knowledge. He is everything from A to Z. He is all-powerful. He is the be-all and the end-all, if you will. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And he is also ascribing himself as deity, as God. Uh, the Old Testament many times refers to God the Father as the Alpha and the Omega. And here Jesus is ascribing himself as the God-man. He is the everything. He is so powerful from, from A to Z. Not only that, but look down if you would at verse number 16 as we think of this powerful God. Verse number 16, Jesus here says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. All of these things, again, speak to the power of the one who is inviting mankind. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. That's so interesting. The idea of him being the root is the idea of him being the source of the line of David. He, specifically in that little phrase there, the idea of the root, he is ascribing himself as God, as deity. He is the root of the source of the line of David. And then as the verse continues to unfold, he identifies himself as the offspring of David. So he's identifying himself as the source of David's entire line. And then he is saying after David's line, he was in that lineage. So he is the offspring of David. He is showcasing his power in this verse by identifying himself as the God of David and the man that was born in his lineage, the offspring. He is the God-man. He is the one who invites people to come to him. He is very powerful. Notice the phrase in verse 16, the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star is an interesting phrase, again, that speaks to his power. One theologian said it this way. He said this is specifically referring to the brightest star announcing the arrival of the day. He said, when Jesus comes, he will shatter the darkness of man's night and herald the dawn of God's glorious day. This is power. And this is power in the one that is inviting you to himself. Have you been converted? Have you trusted Christ? Have you, listen, admitted that you were a sinner and called upon the only one who can save you from eternal wrath in hell, eternal damnation? When was that for you? You've done nothing more important than that decision. He's an inviting God. And he is powerful. And inviting is his personality. Would you consider with me thirdly and lastly our participation? Our participation. Notice again, if you would, in verse number 17, the Bible says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. It's interesting, the verse opens with the idea of the spirit and the bride. The spirit refers to the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost of God. The Holy Spirit says, come, but the bride is a reference to the church. 
Uh, you find that in Ephesians chapter 5. You find that in uh, Paul's writings to the church at Corinth. You find it in Revelation chapter 19, the idea of the bride of Christ being his church. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit says uh, to a lost and dying world, come. He convicts the hearts uh, of individuals. And yet the bride is also responsible to say, come to him. He is an inviting God. He, it's his personality and he is a, a powerful God to come to. The bride of Christ, we are called to invite people to our Lord. If you know what it means to be saved, you're not interested in telling anybody else how to be saved. What a Scrooge are you? I mean, if you understand that Jesus holds the, the key to eternal life and you refuse to tell anybody to come to him, you really can't hurt anybody any more deeply than that. Our participation is for us to say, come, you read Paul's writings to the believers there at Rome in Romans chapter 10, verse number 14, he says, how shall they hear without a preacher? Do you invite people to come to Christ? Are you participating in the invitation? How shall they hear without a preacher? No, Pastor Johnson, I refuse. I don't know that somebody that could refuse so openly is actually saved in the first place. For we are to imitate the attribute of our Heavenly Father when it comes to love, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to several other attributes, including this idea of being inviting. We're all called to preach the gospel. Not everybody is called to be behind a pulpit, but we're all called to communicate the love of God and warn concerning the wrath of God. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, so again, I asked you early on to think about the day you got saved. So who told you about Jesus? You, you heard the word of God from somebody, some human messenger, somebody that preached the gospel to you, Somebody that, that allowed you to hear about their faith and, and hear about the Word of God. So will you do that for others? Will you participate with this inviting God? It is His personality with this powerful God who is powerful enough to redeem a sin-sick world. One uh, theologian said this, quote, he said, what you, what you do in response to God calling you to this task referring to evangelism. What you do in response to God calling you to this task reveals what you really believe about God. So will you participate? So I love the Gospel of John. I've already mentioned that. John chapter 1, you find several people participating in the invitation of God. You find Andrew inviting Peter to Jesus. And, and almost every time you find Andrew in Scripture, you find a man who is involved in the invitation, involved in inviting people to the Lord. And when Andrew, in John chapter 1, invites Peter to Jesus, uh, Andrew says, we have found the Messiah, uh, the anointed one, the, the Christ, in John chapter 1, verse number 41. Listen, Andrew was so excited about having found the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that he had to communicate that to his brother, Peter. He had to communicate that to people around him. He invited people to Christ. He was excited about his soul's destination, and he wanted Peter to participate in eternal life. Later in that same chapter, Philip invites Nathaniel and says to him, Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. This Jesus of Nazareth 
the son of Joseph. Philip was, very, Philip was an evangelist, you know, you read in Acts chapter 6, the, the deacon, one of the men listed as a helper in the church. Philip was a good man. Later uh, in Acts chapter 8, you know, Philip uh, is the, the human instrument that God uses to lead the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah 53 and he says he can't understand it except some man should guide him and Philip is that man. You read these New Testament characters and you find people that were serious about inviting others to Christ. And Philip in John 1, when he invites Nathaniel, he says, we have found him, the one that the Old Testament talked about. And it's interesting, Nathaniel's response. Because I'm not saying that everybody that you invite to Christ is going to respond in a way that's pleasing to you or that's socially acceptable or socially fluid. You know, as a matter of fact, a lot of it is going to be socially awkward and, and sometimes very uncomfortable. And it was in that situation when Philip invites Nathaniel, Nathaniel's knee-jerk response to Philip saying, we have found him, the one that Moses and the law talked about and the prophets did write about. We found Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Are you serious? Nazareth? It's almost like Nathaniel's just got a touch of animosity towards the Nazarene. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And here's what Philip says in response to that. Maybe unexpected response from Nathaniel. Philip says, come and see. He invites him to come to Christ. What about the Samaritan woman? You continue to read John's Gospel. You get into John chapter 4. And this woman at the well, she invites people in John 4, 29. She says, come see a man which told me all the things I ever did. Is this not the Christ? The Samaritan woman was converted to Christ there at the well, and then she is serious about inviting other people to come to the Messiah. As a result of that, sinner, Samaritan woman, a mixed breed. People avoided Samaria because of uh, the, the mixed breed type of people. Jesus didn't. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. She gets saved. He, he knows her sin before she ever communicates it to him. And he points it out to her. And she trusts him as the Messiah. And she's so serious about, about the fact that he knew her sin, so serious about her sin, trusting in him, that she goes on and invites other people. The Bible says in John 4, 39, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. Because she participated in the invitation, so many other people believed. It is your, your job as a Christian to participate. It is often called the Great Commission. You find it listed in several of the Gospels. Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 concludes with the Great Commission, what we are to be doing. And you read in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 20, the call on your life, Christian person. Listen, this is, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 calls us to be ambassadors for Christ, to participate in the communication of a, the loving gospel message, to, to be ambassadors of it, to be heralds of it. It's not our message. You know, we didn't write it. We're not coming up with it. It's not original to us. We are called to communicate on the authority of another. We are called to participate, to offer an invitation to the lost and dying world, the people that 
that still need forgiveness of sin and satisfaction for their lives. Never underestimate the power of an invitation. Somebody, if you're saved, at some point invited you to Christ. I mean, it worked for Peter, it changed his life. It worked for Nathaniel, it changed his life. It worked for the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. It literally changed her life, not just temporally, but eternally. It worked for the people of Samaria. Many of them trusted Christ as a result of that lady at the well. And it's worked for people ever since. The power of an invitation, an inviting God. So I close with this. D.L. Moody. How many of you have ever heard of D.L. Moody? Would you raise your hand? Most of us. His last sermon he preached was November 16, 1899. He preached in Kansas City. And it was about a month before his death in December 22, 1899. And Moody, as all of you already know, was greatly used of God, not just in our country, but around the world. And his last message, again, preached November 16, 1899, in Kansas City, he preached from Luke chapter 14, verses 16 and following, which is a famous passage of Scripture, and the idea of Luke chapter 14, verse 16 and following starts out with an invitation. And you remember the passage. People began to make excuse in the passage. Or they, they can't respond to the, to the great feast that's been prepared. No, they've got this excuse. And they can't respond to the invitation because they've got to go do this and, and they've got to be involved in this. And, and Moody preached his last message just about a month before he died with a level of fervency and urgency concerning the souls of men. The, the invitation of God not being rejected yet again. Moody said, and I quote him, never have I wanted to lead men and women to come to Christ any more than I do at this time. Just weeks, really, before his death. He's given his life to be a herald, a, an ambassador of the gospel message, and he says, as he looks back on his life, certainly his entire life, from, from the moment of his conversion on, he, he wanted people to come to Christ, but he says, I'm, I'm dying, I, I'm close to the end of my life, and never have I wanted any more than right now for people to come to Christ. He was passionate about the gospel, about participating in the invitation of an inviting God. So you can make excuses. You, you might be here and you'd say, Pastor Johnson, I don't know for sure that I've ever been converted. I, I probably have been trusting in a religious system or religious tradition. I, I'm a good person, Pastor Johnson. I haven't really done a lot of bad stuff. Can I tell you that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done? It's according to his mercy he saved us. It's not by uh, works that any man should boast. I mean, your good works are not going to earn you a, a spot in heaven. But your bad works will damn you to an eternity in hell. And we're all sinners. Don't make excuse. Christian people, would you, would you participate in inviting others? Maybe you're here and you, you yourself are not saved. Would you come to an invited God today? Would you trust him? Would, would this day be the day that you now look back on and say, that was when I was converted to Christ. I, I, I took my sin and I gave it to him. It's on his account and, and, he, and his righteousness is applied to me. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. 
Would you bow with me, please, for prayer?